0: So we're going to look into Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 19. We're uh, continuing this uh, series of uh, looking into God's Word together as part of our worship, uh, our, our praise, our learning on a Sunday morning. And it's on, to be found on page 1053 if you're uh, looking at the Bibles uh, nearby. If you're not, then you'll have to find it on your own Bible. Luke's Gospel. So let's uh, start by reading this passage, shall we? Verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minors. That's An equivalent amount of money, the footnote tells us it was three months' wages. Put this money to work, he said, until or actually because I'm coming back. But his subjects hated him, and they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it, or actually what business they'd done. We shall see it's not really about profit here. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because uh, you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you, because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Well, why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir so they said, He already has ten. He replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be a king over them Bring them here and kill them in front of me. It's a story Jesus tells. Um, Now let's uh, think about it for a minute then and uh, see what we can learn. Now, expectations are uh, interesting things, aren't they? Can be quite difficult. Has anyone, I won't ask you to share it, but uh, been disappointed because what you've expected hasn't quite turned out like that. You've had an expectation and, oh dear, it hasn't really matched. It might be about a holiday, you know, you can, um, perhaps you might be a bit like me. I'm, I'm quite optimistic, you wouldn't believe that. But, um, and uh, so I kind of always hope for the best in some ways and then, and then it, I, I get disappointed quite easily. That's just a small thing. More important, people get expectations of jobs. They have expectations of other people. And uh, that's pretty serious if they're false. You know, we we do marriage prep, preparation to get married with couples because of the kind of expectations that they might have of each other, which if they don't know what they are, um, you know, can be quite troublesome in, in the future kind of time. What goes wrong is that our expectations can be based on false assumptions. You know, now when I was a little boy, going back to holidays, uh, we didn't have any many holidays till I was about, oh, I don't know, uh, 11, 12. We didn't go away, that is. And uh, we were on the Isle of Wight, so you might think you didn't need to go anywhere. On, you lived on the Isle of Wight. But when we came over to the mainland, as we used to call it, which is here, um, we went on holiday to Cornwall. I remember it, and I thought, you know, I'd heard about Cornwall, I, I don't know where it came from, but I had this idea of little coves with nobody there, and lovely rocky places, and you know, all kinds of, I think it came from Enid Blyton's famous five books, or, or a picture I'd seen in a ladybird book of Cornwall, or something like that, and I say, well, because when I got there, well, it rained all the time, for one thing, I'd never seen that, uh, and you know, all, all kinds of things that weren't quite right, weren't quite accurate, now, you know, maybe we can be like that. Accuracy can be important. Now, if that's important, how much more important is it that we expect, that what we expect of Jesus and what we expect following him looks like is accurate? Think about that. Because in Luke chapter 19, we have Jesus and his disciples on their way to Jerusalem. They're getting close to Jerusalem. Luke's gospel has been all about, in this second half, this journey towards Jerusalem. He, he, he keeps going in that direction. And now it's less than 20 miles away. They're in Jericho at this moment, as you see at the beginning of the passage. Uh, it's uh, They're probably still the same people who have been listening to or, and saw everything that went on with Zacchaeus, you heard about last week, and all that Jesus said about that. Uh, and, and he's carrying on talking to them. Because um, exciting things have been happening in Jericho. I won't ask you now. I haven't heard it online yet. But that blind man got, got healed of his blindness, didn't he? And that man called Zacchaeus came to know Jesus. That The blind man calls out to Jesus as the son of David. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus goes and heals his blindness. Zacchaeus, that outcast tax collector... Well, it turns out that he becomes a son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this house, says Jesus. And these like salvation coming to this house—people who are outcasts, people who are beyond the pale—becoming sons of Abraham. The the king of the 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 son of David, bringing sight to blind people. These were all like massive kind of. Fireworks going off in Jewish people's minds because they were expecting God's king to come. And the Old Testament promised that outcasts would become like sons of Abraham. Blind people would see. Amazing things would happen. And so you don't really blame them, do you? For thinking that, whoa! God is about to do it. It's going to happen. His kingdom is coming now. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that's God's city. That's Zion. That's the city of God. If the kingdom's coming anytime, time, it's going to be now and here. Woohoo! You can imagine the kind of buzz that there would be in those people. Jesus tells them this story, Luke tells us, because of that. Because they're missing something. They're getting the wrong expectations. Wrong expectations of what the kingdom is all about, what, what knowing Jesus in your life, what being in Jesus' kind of family, group, I was going to say, gang, team, whatever you want to call it, part of Jesus' community is all about. They're getting all these kind of ideas, and Jesus is saying they're, going, uh, to, they're missing something. And they also haven't quite got the, the right idea about what's going on or what's going to happen at Jerusalem. And this story is going to help us and help them to get hold of just what to expect. What do we expect then of the kingdom? What do we expect of what God is going to do through Jesus or is doing through Jesus? And what to expect of the king? What do we expect of the kingdom? What do we expect of the king? Here's the first thing. Let's think about uh, from this story then about what to expect about the kingdom of god now these stories that jesus told we call them parables there somebody said they're like it's like looking at a house with loads of windows and doors in them you know you kind of get all kinds of views on things jesus teaches kind of theology through stories it's amazing he does it through narrative through you know, straight plain statements as well but the great thing about the stories it's like being in a house being like here have we had to kind of see kind of bits outside of it or ways in and 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 this is how this story is going to be working it's going to be all kinds of little glimpses of key bits of truth well let's see what it's going to uh, say say that then because the other thing about it is that it leaves us with questions. These stories, you may have noticed if, if we've been going through Luke's gospel, you come out of these stories, you come away with more questions, actually, than you started with. You keep thinking about them. And I hope, like today, like the other stories we've looked, looked at, will leave you, it certainly has been leaving me thinking all week about this. It's, it's, it's a fascinating little story. And it leaves us kind of wanting more from Jesus, thinking, well, yeah, how's that going to work out then, and so on. So here's the first thing. What to expect of the kingdom of God? First of all, about the way it works, the time scale. You see, these people, that Luke tells us, were thinking that the kingdom was going to come at once. It was all going to happen right away. And Jesus tells them this story about a nobleman who becomes king by going away first to a far-off country. So kind of in the story, that's a long way. That's quite a bit of time involved here. And then comes back to get the job, or he gets the job as king, and then it 's a while till he comes back again, and everyone knows that he is king that 's what gee that 's what the story is basically about Now, the people hearing the story would be very familiar with that way of doing government because that 's had happened in their society. So when uh, King Herod became king in forty BC, he had to go off to uh, Caesar in Rome. And present himself in Rome to get permission to go back to uh, Israel, Palestine, and be the ruler there. That had happened in uh, 40 BC. A little bit earlier, later on than that, when he died, um, he'd given the kingdom to his four sons. And they'd all had to do the same thing to get the kind of authority from Caesar to come back. Now, that was a well-known fact. It was a well-known story. Everyone in Jericho would know about that, particularly in Jericho, as we'll see in a moment or two. But the point that Jesus is making is that there's going to be a wait It's not all going to happen at once. The king is noble. He's got the right to be king. But it's not going to happen right now at that point in that kind of big public way. Jesus is setting up the way the kingdom is going to work. Jesus is king. That's what he's been saying all through Luke's gospel. Every time he stood up and talked about the kingdom of God, the implicit message was it's here and I'm the king. And people got that. What did they accuse him of at his crucifixion? What was written over the cross? This is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. People got it. They they understood it. They didn't like it. That's why they crucified him. But that was his message. That's what he'd been saying. But he's saying there's going to be a wait before everyone sees it. His timescale, the kingdom's timescale, is not what the people were expecting. There's going to be a wait before the kingdom is completely upon us. Now, we'll think about that later, but start now. Do we sometimes think that it's all about now, that the kingdom of God has come? It has. In that sense, Jesus has come. He's died. He's been raised from the dead. But does that mean that his whole kingdom, everything he promised, is all to be done now? So, healing is... Any time for everybody. Answered prayer. Every prayer will be answered. If it's not, then you're not praying right. you know, Because you've got the right to have every answered prayer. Everybody falling to their knees to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. In some massive revival where everybody knows that, that, that it's who he is. That's what we're kind of expecting. No doubt anymore that Jesus is king over everything. Because you can't miss it. We see it everywhere. Now I'm putting it extremely, but... Do we sometimes kind of think that that's for now? Jesus says it's not how it works. At this point, one day it will be. But at this point, we have to wait. We have glimpses of it now. We have tastes of it now. There are times when we, of course, know answer prayer and healing and people fall to their knees, they acknowledge Jesus. But there's a time scale. Then Jesus says, look, there's something else about the kingdom of God. And that's to do not with the way it works. It's time scale. But the way it feels to be in it. Because in the story. There's more than just a weight here. There's you see this delegation of people. Who hate the king. Not his servants, but other subjects, it says, while he's away off to get the king, his kingdom, or get the right to come back as king, so to speak, in the story, there are these other people, citizens, who really don't want him. And the words are very strong in, 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 in the, in the, in the uh, if you go back to the original language, it's almost like we don't want, the, the, the Greek says this one, Aramaic, it's almost like this, you know, expletive deleted kind of, it, it's really hostile. We don't want this one. In fact, we're going to go and appeal to the government not to have him because we don't want him to be king over us. And again, go back to their local story. Herod's son, who was called uh, Arch- Archelaus, or archaelus I don't quite know how you pronounce it. My Latin's not very good. Well, it's non-existent. Um, went to get the authority from Caesar to rule Judea, which was the Jerusalem-Jericho province of Palestine. And uh, that, this was after Herod died, and he went to Caesar, and uh, a delegation of people from the locality went because they hated him. He, for one they had every re- good reason to. He was a terrible ruler. He'd been a kind of provincial governor. He'd, he'd slaughtered 3,000 Jewish people at Passover. That's why they hated him. But the point was, they didn't like him. They didn't want him to be king. So the people around would have, yeah, got that. And do you know where Archelaus's main palace was? Jericho. So, you know, it was, all, it was all kind of going on around him. So not only is there a wait for the king to come back, but there's hostility to him being king at all, all around them. And that's what's going to happen at Jerusalem, isn't it? That's what's going to happen. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus will be rejected, he's going to be abused, he's going to be executed... Why? Because that king is not welcome here. The only person who sees it is the thief on the cross who says, remember me, Jesus, you're coming into your kingdom. Nobody else saw it at that point except that man dying alongside Jesus. Hostility. Hmm. But more than that, What about being part of this kingdom? Well, there's loyalty that's expected. Because before he goes on the long journey, even as the delegation are getting kind of ready to go and oppose him, he tells his servants, look, to have some money, he gives them some money, all 10 of them. We only hear about three, but they all get the same amount. They all get about three months' wages. That's about 60,000 pounds between them in our day. And tells them to do business on his behalf Because he's going to come back. Now, think about that for a minute. Get into the story, okay? Imagine you're one of these people. They're supposed to carry on, kind of, for the master. He wants them to set up little businesses. To, to represent him, to be his servants publicly where? Where everyone's hostile, in that place where he's not welcome. It's not that he wants them to make a load of money for them because we'll see that they're not rewarded for that. But what he wants them to do is to be faithful to him, to be open about him, to, to make it known that they're with him, they're his servants, and they're not ashamed to show it. And he's asking them to take that money and you know do that with that money in front of all these hostile people. See, get, get the picture? It's like, um, that's not going to be easy, is it? That's not an easy gig at all. It'll be like, I suppose, um, you know, being asked to go and set up the Royal House of Windsor coffee chain in Australia, say. Or um, the socialist Whole Foods supplier in Tunbridge Wells. Or, um, a, you know, a Tory tea shop in Glasgow. Or... or <laughs> Or actually, anywhere in Scotland, for that matter. But uh, you know, or, or dare I say, a Portsmouth, uh, Portsmouth FC shop down in Southampton. That's the kind of gig that they've been given. So, what are the servants to do? Well, remember, the the, the, the king is away. They're waiting for him. Are they going to be loyal? Are they going to do it? How enthusiastically are they going to do it? Are they going to do it like secretly or openly? You know, just a, maybe have a very small sign that says, you know, propriety, the king who's coming back. Or are they going to say, this is king's coffee. Or do you see what I mean? How are they going to do that? What, how much business are they going to do for their master while he's away? See, they've only got his word that he's coming back. And what's more, there's this really powerful delegation that have gone to oppose his, his leadership. They could actually play it real safe and hedge their bets, couldn't they? That would be the business thing to do. What happens to the smart money when there's an uncertain political situation? Ask the Greeks or even the Russians. Uh, Do you know what I mean? It goes, doesn't it? It doesn't. It's not a good time to set up a business. But that's what they're called to do. Do we realise that we're called to be part of His kingdom? That we're called to be loyal to Him? We're not meant to hedge it. We're not meant to hide that we belong to him. In this place where people don't want him, we're called to be loyal servants, faithful to our king, Jesus. Have we got that? Because that is what the kingdom of God, that, that's an expectation of what being in the kingdom of God is all about. Well, the story goes on and the king does come back. So what do we expect of the king then when he comes back? Three things more quickly because I hope we're getting into the story now. The first thing is that he rewards. See, the king in the story comes back and he wants to see how his servants have got on. And as I say, I, I, I don't think it's just about have they been great capitalists. This isn't about capitalism and making money. Actually, the original is not about how much money you've made, but how much business have you done? Actually, it's about, I suppose, about turnover rather than profit. And the reason that's important is because that is an index of how open they've been, how enthusiastically they've been willing to associate themselves with their king, who says he's coming back, but others are opposed to it. See? So he comes back to ask them that. And he rewards them. Amazing. Well done, he says to them. You've been faithful, You've, the NIV says trustworthy. The old version, faithful is better really. Because uh, the original word can mean two things. It can mean that you, you've believed me. You've had faith and you've believed me. And, and also you've acted faithfully. In a way, the two things are connected. But the point is they get rewarded. They get rewarded by sharing in the kingdom that he's setting up. And what, the way they get involved, the way they're rewarded, they hear him say, well done. You're, you've done a great job. Well done, servant. But they serve him in the future in a way that is kind of linked to how they would served him while he was away. What happens in the future is kind of continuous with how they've lived for him at, before he returned. So he rewards. The second thing he does is that he reveals. You see, because not all the servants come back with this report, don't they? There's this one of them who comes in and gives the king his money back. And he says, I, here's your money back. He said, I just wrapped it in a napkin. Now, again, everyone, in the, everyone listening would have thought, what a stupid servant. Everyone knows that if you want to keep something safe, you need to bury it in the ground. Because that's, you know, that's, that's why it's always in the Gospels like that. That's why the man in that story of digging the field came across treasure, because somebody's deposit had been kind of hidden in the field. So he wasn't even very good at really you know, protecting his servant's money. He, hadn't, you know, he just put it in a cloth and kept it somewhere, I don't know, on a shelf, under the bed, wherever, who knows. And he starts giving excuses that just don't, turn, that don't stand up, do they? He says he thought the king was a hard and a mean man. But the thing is, he said, I was afraid. Now, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Fear had distorted his thinking. And And the king quickly reveals that this is really an excuse, isn't it? He says he's lying. Look, you, this doesn't stand up. He says, look, if, you were th- if, yeah, if I was really like that, and he quotes the man's words back to him, he would say, well, why didn't you put it in the bank? Well, they didn't have banks, but give it to somebody who would give you some interest for it. And then, then you know, what you're saying doesn't stand up, he says. There's a bigger problem here for this servant. What's being revealed? The servant's fear his wrong beliefs about the king. could be that the servant had basically thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll just hedge it. You know, I'm not going to be too bothered about this. I'll keep my head down. I'll go for an easy life. You know, I'll, I'll be a kind of, no, I'll be a notional servant of the king, but, you know, if, if he isn't king and doesn't come back, well, I won't lose anything. And meantime, no one will beat me up for being the king's servant. You see, that's the kind of attitude that this servant has gone for. And he's warned, he's uh, in real danger. But the parable ends there. And this is important, like some of the other stories we've had. Think about where they end. Will this king, will this servant learn his lesson? He's lost his original deposit, so to speak. But it's left open. Maybe he'll come back again. Maybe he'll take the warning on board. He certainly learned something. He certainly learned that if you don't lose it, use it, rather, you'll lose it, which is a useful thing to remember, which is what Jesus says. That's very true in spiritual life. God's given you a task or a a gift or an opportunity or put something on your heart. Do it. Don't just, you know, I don't know about that, because you kind of end up losing it if you don't use it. What to expect, the king also reigns. Because his story ends with the king giving out uh, a warning, not just to the servants who are listening, these three servants. The third one's got this lesson, got to get hold of this lesson. Look, you can't be neutral. You're either going to be for me, says the king, or you may as well not have the minus at all. You you may as well not have any part of what I'm doing. And I think that servant in the story is kind of left to... Think about that. We don't know what he'll do. A bit like the prodigal son. Did the older son go back in afterwards? We don't know. Jesus kind of leaves it there. But he goes on to pass judgment on the rebels. See, that's a very frightening verse, that, yeah, that last verse in verse 27. But because what the king is saying is that this insurrection will be put down. There's no doubt whatsoever about his kingship. He will come back and he will be seen to be king. And if people insist upon, as it says here, being his enemies, then they will have no place in his kingdom. They will be judged, excluded from his presence. But it's interesting. It's a warning, a huge warning. The sentence is passed. But it's not carried out at the end of the story. The story doesn't end with, so they bought the people, the king's enemies, and they slaughtered him in there. But it doesn't end there, does it? It ends with a warning. And you think, hmm. And the Bible's got lots of warnings. Like Here's a warning from the Bible. The wages of sin is death. That's the sentence. Does it stop there? But the gift of God is eternal life. We deserve judgment. We deserve to be um, removed as insurrectionists one day when the king returns. If we are his enemies, we will have no part with him. But we may be under the sentence, but it's not been passed. There's time to come to know him. Time to know that the wages of sin are death and will be death. Eternal death. Separation from God. That's true. But... The gift of God is eternal life. We can know Jesus' forgiveness. We can know his love in our lives. We don't have to be his enemies. There's time to change sides. There's time for the servant who was paralyzed by fear to get it sorted out. And I think we're left thinking at the end of the story, well, hmm, will they or won't they? So let's wrap it up. Let's think about living for the king. What are my expectations of the kingdom? What are your expectations? Do we realize that there is a wait? <laughs> the Christian life, living in the kingdom, is sometimes about living with waiting. There is a time period between the time of Jesus' resurrection and his return there is hostility to him now we live in a broken world we live in a world that is in rebellion against god we we live in a place where tough stuff can happen jerusalem for jesus is the way to his kingship and it was in jerusalem that he was crucified and as we follow him then we may be going through our own jerusalems as it were not to die for the sins of the world but to go through suffering to know his glory We need to know this, or you could be seriously disappointed with the Christian life if you don't know that. But here's a question. Are we going to be faithful servants? Because that's what he wants us to be. Taking what we have all of our life, living it unashamedly for him. Now, let me ask you, what will that look like for you this week? How are you going to be loyal to the king this week in a hostile place? All I'm going to say to you is ask him. Pray about it. Maybe in in our response time, ask the Lord, Lord, how can I live for you as a loyal subject, unashamedly, this week? There are different times in our lives. We're different people. There are different seasons. You know, it'll be a different way for each of us. I remember when I was a student, and when I was a first-year student, I went to the CU meeting, and uh, I heard someone speaking, which challenged me very profoundly, and I just knew I had to do something uh, like that to be kind of openly loyal to Jesus. And I just knew I had... It's only a little thing. Uh, we, at the time, this was in the 70s, lots of people wore stickers. Well, I wasn't going to do that. I, I thought that wasn't me at all because uh, it just looked stupid, I thought. But, but, but there was... Something, you could get um, a little badge. Maybe some of you remember them. They're quite... little enamel badge. It just said, Jesus lives on the badge. Not a great picture, but. I used to wear this jacket, not this jacket, but a jacket. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, we won't go there. We haven't got time. So, uh, and, and I, I just thought, I just knew that this was—it was a little thing—and I just knew I had to do it. After asking the Lord and praying about it, now George Verwood, the guy who challenged me, at the, he never said, "Why don't you wear a badge?" You know, but I just thought, "Lord, what should I do?" And you know, and I did it all through my, you know, first year. Certainly, I can't remember whether, how, whether I carried on. I probably did. No one ever said anything about it, but I just knew that it was a way of being loyal or showing my loyalty. Now, you know, that's a, a small thing, but what about you? Is there an act of kindness that you're going to do this week on your front line? Are you going to pray maybe just, Lord, can I just, can I just mention your name this week somehow on my front line? Is there something that, I'm, you know, am I going to actually say, I'm going to go and I'm going to start the day by praying for my colleagues quietly or my friends? That will come on. Does that come on? Yeah? Can you hear me? Right. Something like that. Or is it a question, I'm, I'm Lord, I'm not going to compromise on this principle i'm not you know what it is it's up to you and between you and him or i'm not going to compromise on that behavior on this week this place but let's just commit to being faithful living for him whether we're successful or whether we're not because it's him see what the servants said they they don't say we did a great job for you thanks lord you know they said look what your what you gave us has done it's grown more humbly we need to remember that we hope and pray for growth don't we it's, we want to be successful nothing wrong with that but let's get excited about being faithful to god whether we're successful or not because the great thing is to hear him say well done and one day uh, we could hear him say that how about that and be part of his new creation in a way that somehow connects with all the joy that we've known serving him in this one, somehow can connect into the net. Now, I don't know how that works, but it's kind of, glad it's not just fluffy clouds in, you know, some kind of heaven in another dimension. It's about a real life existent forever with God in a creation, a new one, a renewed one, a glorious possibility to hear him say, well done. We live for the king. The kingdom has come but in another sense it's not fully here yet and we need to get that expectation right jesus may not be the kind of king that these people thought he was going to be or his kingship wasn't going to break in at that point in the way that they had hoped but they're called to be loyal easter shows us more than anything else what different kind of king jesus really is and we'll be on to that next sunday as we lead up Into Easter. Let's be faithful servants of our King for his glory. Amen. Come back to the band.